Welcome to season two of Step Monster. I'm Bailey and this is Elise. We're two friends who found each other by chance and haven't looked back since. In this podcast, we talk about the highs and lows of what it's like to truly be a stepmom. Grab a drink and join us for this wild ride. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Step Monsters. We are absolutely thrilled to be able to welcome another guest today, Joseph Goldberg, to our show. He uh, found us when he was researching podcasts and reached out with a message that was incredibly compelling. So uh, Joseph focuses in particular on the subjects of high-conflict co-parenting and child custody disputes. Uh, He also has expertise in parental alienation and a variety of other topics, and we are absolutely thrilled to have him on. So welcome, Joseph. Thank you very much, Bailey. Yeah. So for everyone that's listening, we would love if you would just give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are, what you do, and uh, what, your, what your research and expertise has been in. Well, I try to describe what I do in um, a new definition because there really aren't very many professionals that do exactly what I do today. So I uh, have labeled myself uh, a psycholegal consultant because the bulk of what I do is working with psycholegal professionals like lawyers, family law lawyers, um, and other uh, mental health professionals in high conflict cases with children where there's child custody disputes or parent child relationship problems like parental alienation or enmeshment. And of course, uh, to understand some of these. Uh, very difficult and complex topics, you have to understand that uh, this encompasses a lot of other issues like domestic violence and abuse and neglect and factors that involve the the difficult conflicts in co-parenting. I think you've carved out a really unique space, and I I completely agree with what you say. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to, you know, is this a psychologist's place? Is this a lawyer's place? Is it both? How do you find that blend and find someone who really does specialize in these types of things because they are incredibly complex? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that one of the main struggles for that we hear from a lot of stepmoms and step parents is that, is it alienation? Is it enmeshment? How do you know the difference between those various pieces? Or maybe they're not even of the capacity to understand what the term is and that that's a thing that now is being heavily researched. So Again, like Bailey said, we're super excited to have you on, and thank you again for reaching out. So I'm just going to dive in here to some of the questions that um, we would like to ask you. So in some families, you can have an older stepchild that's trying to control the behavior of a younger sibling in ways that can turn them against a step-parent or a stepmom. What should be done about that, or what advice would you give? That's a good question. What of the suggestions... I have would be to try to change the parenting time schedule so that the children are separated and spending parenting time on different days. But unfortunately, uh, this isn't normally something that can be agreed to by parents who are totally polarized. On the other hand, uh, there are situations when a family is working with a court-appointed guardian ad litem or a parenting coordinator or a custody evaluator. And during that time, uh, were you to suggest separating the children's parenting time to any one of them, 
that could end up in a recommendation to a judge. So that would be an alternative way of addressing the issue. There's also another option, which is if parents can't agree to dividing the children up on different days, you can go to court, you can modify the standing court order, and if you're looking for a short-term answer, because it can take time to get to in, into a courtroom, what you could try to do is separate the children by steering them into after-school activities that separates them. But one way or the other, uh, it's going to be important to address the root problem, which is why is this older sibling doing this to the younger sibling? And the truth is that there are a lot of factors that can dysregulate a child's behavior. So regardless of any strategy that you try to use to disrupt the older sibling's behavior, if you don't find the root cause of the, of the problem, it's going to be difficult to change it. How often, Joseph, in your experience, do you come across situations like this? I, with our audience alone, I've I definitely know that this is a, a fairly common issue, but I'm curious just in, in your work how, how regular this sort of situation might be. Well, uh, in high conflict cases, which is exclusively what I am involved in, and in particular where it pertains to the population of step parenting, you see it all the time. And it's always, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time, it's always an older sibling that's being used to coach and indoctrinate the younger sibling to get that younger sibling in line with the sort of tribal view of the other parent. I have to imagine long-term effects of that type of manipulation for kids like that is, is pretty damaging when they're older. It's damaging at, uh, at any age. There's a lot of research about how this impacts children. So there are no positive outcomes from this kind of behavior. Yeah, I think when you're looking at any sort of manipulation, especially from a parent, it's it's not ever, there's no there's no positive or silver lining to that at all. Um, some another question we wanted to ask you, Joseph, is um, if a stepmom enters into a marriage with children of her own and the parenting time places all the children together at the same time during the week, what would you consider a good protocol for dealing with stepchildren who are possibly angry, could be confrontational, disruptive, or re rejecting of the stepmom or maybe one of her kids? What, like, what's some good advice as far as that goes? Well, when you have two parents living together with two different sets of children, uh, you have to think not only about how to handle the situation with the kids, uh, that stepmother needs to think about the feedback from her former husband because if they have shared custody, the former husband would have some legitimate concerns about what his children are being exposed to. And I've seen cases of step-siblings making false allegations against another step-sibling and against the step-parent and all in a ruse to try and force a change in custody. So my advice would be to change the parenting schedule so that both sets of children are not spending time together. And if you can't change the parenting time schedule, 
then you might want to try to change the home environment so that the stepmother's children are spending more time at the homes of some of their friends or with another relative like a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, and then the stepmom can join them for dinners on the outside. And, and that might seem unfair to the stepmom because she's making a sacrifice, but the alternative is that her children end up exposed to a lot of traumatic events that the children really should be shielded from. Yeah, when you when you first said that, my gut reaction as a stepmom who tends to jump to the defense sometimes faster than I than I should was why should I have to completely rearrange my life to accommodate my partner's bratty kids? And the reality is is it's not about me. It's about making sure that both sets of kids are in an environment that is healthy for them. And I think you're right. I think sometimes it's really just not possible for them to cohabitate and for for there to be peace. And that's something that we struggle with a lot because that's all that's all we want to do. We want to create peace. We want everyone to be happy. And in extreme situations, it's just not possible. And I think it would be it would be better if stepmoms can learn to recognize that sooner versus trying to push a lot of uncomfortable situations that really just end up explosive anyways. Yeah, and I think that some other alternatives would be letting him spend time with his kids. And like you said, if if you're unable to agree to separate times that you would have the kids, maybe at one point um, he goes and visits with the kids elsewhere and you're able to visit with your children at home and then vice versa. You come to some sort of agreement with your partner versus just saying, I'm not doing this because your kids are unruly. You know, you've got a marriage is about compromise. And so find something that works for your family that you can have some sort of unique situation until the kids get older. So how does this change? Because so the situation we just talked about was when a stepmom is bringing her own kids into a situation with existing stepkids. So creating the ultimate blended family. How does this change for people like Elise and I who came into a marriage without kids of our own previously? And maybe the stepmom came into a situation that was immediately disrespectful just because she existed and just because she was there. Like what, what is your advice on how to how to create a healthier environment, maybe amongst some unrest and disrespect from kids walking into a marriage like that? Yes. Well, this is a really uh, tough uh, situation. I empathize with step parents that are in that situation because it, uh, it, it's not only difficult trying to deal with a, a child that's unregulated like this, but, uh, you know, it puts a strain on a marital relationship. There's all kinds of uh, calculations in how to navigate through this. But I think that the, the you know, the, uh, the answer is you have to go to an intervention right away. Uh, because when, when children are acting, when they're acting out and they're dysregulated, they're in what's called a, a, a state of self-regulation failure. And so the, the type of intervention that I would recommend would be what's called or referred to as self-regulation therapy. So I don't have a lot of time to go in, into what self-regulation therapy is in this, in this podcast. So what I'm going to suggest to your listeners is that 
there's a there's a psychologist by the name of Dr. Stuart Shanker, and his last name is spelled S H A N K E R. And if you go to YouTube and you type in his name, and next to his name you type in the words self-regulation, you'll find one of his uh, many lectures that you can listen to. And after you do that, I would suggest that you go to his website, which is self-reg.ca. So here's my advice. Um, what you want to do is you want to enroll your child in an online self-regulation class. And you also want to get your husband, if you're the stepmom, you want to get your husband and hopefully the bio mom to also take the class for the parents. And I think that the cost of this would be $180 for the whole year. So it's a really inexpensive, but it's an evidence-based way of helping children that are dysregulated. And, you know, one of the things that you're dealing with are children that have lost the ability to manage their self-control. And you can't actually have self-control unless you have self-regulation. So it's like the chicken before the egg issue here. You want to get the kids involved in the right intervention. And so that's what you should do. That's my advice. So also something that a lot of step parents deal with are false allegations. And we see that frequently, as you know, when things are going through, you know, custody disputes within the legal system. And it can be false allegations against a stepmom, false allegations against any rejected parent, or just ways to create conflict at that household between a stepmom and their partner, or just in general for the family unit to disrupt. What's some advice that you would give to someone who is dealing with that particular situation? Well, anytime somebody has to deal with a false allegation, it's, it's very traumatic. It doesn't matter where it comes from. But in particular, when a, when a child is making up a false allegation against a parent or against a step-sibling, it could be because the child was coached or motivated to lie, or it could be because the child is enmeshed in a parental relationship that's unhealthy. One thing the stepmom and her husband should do is be aware that false allegations can and frequently do escalate into charges being reported to child protection agencies. And that can prompt an investigation that could lead to the loss of parenting time until the investigation is over at least. So that's one of the, uh, one of the potential consequences. Uh, it could also lead to an ex parte hearing where the bio mom goes to court without any notice of the hearing to the other parent and then seizes temporary physical control and custody of the child. This happens all the time, unfortunately. It's a very sad situation. So my first bit of advice is if you have a lawyer, you have to notify your lawyer of the allegation immediately because it would be best for the lawyers to discuss the allegation with the other side before anything goes any further. And it might be prudent to voluntarily suspend your parenting time with the child because the child is either being manipulated or is in a, or is in a very severely damaged psychological condition. So suspending parenting time would allow 
the level of harm being inflicted on the child to be reduced. So children, children in this situation are also, I want to emphasize, at risk of non-suicidal self-injuring behavior. I see this as a pattern also. So you have to be on the lookout for self-injuring behaviors like cutting and pulling hair or other self-injuring behaviors, signs of an eating disorder. These are children, children that make false allegations that really need to be evaluated to determine the entire profile of problems that may exist. So getting the right professional to do that work would be extremely beneficial to start mm -hmm. with. And uh, a scholarly consultant uh, might be a good place to start. What, what would you consider a scholarly consultant? Well, the problem is that when you think about evaluating children psychologically, the problem is that most of the assessors that are on the rosters for court work or that are selected between the lawyers getting together and selecting an evaluator, most of them are really not familiar with the current literature, medical and psychological literature, that would explain why children and parents are behaving the way that they do because there are new factors that they haven't integrated into the lane they practice in. And so this has led to erroneous uh, and many misdiagnostic conclusions about what the cause of the problems in the child may be. And that is a problem that can only be helped by having somebody who's very familiar with that literature. And so that's why I think it's difficult for anybody in this situation because trying to find that that scholarly individual was almost like a needle in a haystack. Yeah, and to your point, really, the legal system is pretty incestuous. And so you may be wrapped up in a situation where you're going through a possible parental alienation or enmeshment scenario, and you want to seek help, and your attorney will guide you to a, a therapist for the kids or give recommendations for a parenting coordinator, guardian ad litem. And they aren't very familiar with things that happen within the, the family law system. And I think it's very easy for them to be manipulated by the alienating parent to align with the children and the alienating parent. So again, to your point, you, you've got to be very particular with making sure that you're vetting the person that you're bringing in to, to be a contributor and a professional in the situation versus someone who's going to align in a negative way and cause further harm. Yes, I think that's a good point. Um, the, the issue that has led me to make this advice about seeking out a scholarly consultant is based on uh, a lot of research I've done on my own. So speaking for myself as a consultant over the last three years, I've been very agitated by the fact that there haven't been a lot of progression in the treatments for some of these ruptured parent-child relationship issues. And part of the reason that the, the therapeutic interventions are failing is because the, the theory of parental alienation itself is a very flawed theory. There has been about 20 years since the passing of the first reformulation of parental alienation. And it, it has a lot of issues that have been leading people to believe in some, some of the uh, opinions of the experts that are, in my opinion today, misguided. 
It's so interesting. It's so scary to think about that. I mean, you really, sometimes in these high conflict situations, you're relying on people who deem themselves quote unquote experts to make massive decisions that could impact your life, your kids' lives forever. And I mean, hearing you say that the teachings and the research for a lot of these people is outdated and misguided feels right based on what we are hearing on a daily basis in in terms of just stepmoms who are seemingly losing custody or being dragged to court or, you know, being dragged through a bunch of legal mud because of something that has no proof, no basis, no grounds, or is just founded in, in lies and someone trying to be vindictive and like, who, who are we supposed to trust if those are the people that we can't trust? I mean, I've, I think your recommendation to find someone scholarly is a, a sound one. And it, the unfortunate part about that is it really puts the onus on the parents that are going through that to really vet the people that they're asking to be on their team so that they, they feel confident that that, that person is going to support them and guide them in the way that reflects today's landscape of what parental alienation looks like. Yeah, you know, um, when people ask me about parental alienation, I tell them that, you know, an expert not only knows what parental alienation is, but they know what parental alienation isn't. And I have, over the last three years, through my own research, through a lot of medical and psychological literature, I've identified some new factors that clearly account for the behavior of children that identify by these experts as alienated, but they're not. There's other explanations that explain why they act the way they do, why they behave the way they do. And not a single one of these references have been integrated in any way in parental alienation theory. And while I have always been friends with and worked with all of these colleagues and experts in parental alienation for 20 years, I, I probably stand alone as the largest critic of the theory today. And so my interest in being on your program is another step in um, launching a new way forward that will create better therapeutic and non-therapeutic interventions to help repair these broken relationships and to get these families on the right track because they're not getting the best kind of advice because they don't know what's in this medical and psychological literature. And I'm working on trying to get that out in the public square because I am putting together a paper, but it probably won't come out for another six months or so. Well, you're, you're doing you're doing good work and we, we're, we're really glad to have you here. So one of the things that comes to mind for me too when I'm, I'm listening to you talk about this is oftentimes early on in a relationship where stepmom is is getting involved there is already hostility that exists between the bio mom and the we'll, call, we'll say her ex-husband and it can very quickly spiral out of control and very quickly become hostile argumentative and i think us as stepmoms we don't we don't really know what to do in that situation uh those that are like me full type a personality I want to jump in and I want to control everything because that's just what I'm I'm used to doing. I feel like I can be helpful. I feel like I can smooth things over, but I am recognizing that sometimes that could also make it worse. But in those those early stages, I feel like that might be an opportunity to to maybe try to I don't know, pre-repair so maybe it doesn't get as bad as it could, but how how have you worked with people 
who are dealing with a super high conflict ex and do you recommend the stepmom steps in, gets involved, or do you recommend that the stepmom just kind of stays out of it? Well, I definitely think uh, the stepmom needs to step in um, and be engaged, and but but in, a, in an intelligent way that doesn't exacerbate the conflict. To be supportive of your husband and to... Um, steer them away from some of the impulses that are human nature, you know, to want to fight and to want to debate and argue with someone uh, who at times uh, appears completely irrational. But it's counterproductive to get into the minutia of a dispute with a person that when they become dysregulated, because of your argument against them. The one that ends up getting the worst part of it is the children caught in the middle. So you have to kind of rely on uh, the kind of interventions that will help your, your help you as the stepmom, but you and your husband need to be joined at the hip in terms of having the tools in your toolbox to know how to deal with a person like this. And so again, uh, I think a, a wonderful way to achieve this is through self-regulation classes. I think this is a, uh, a total win for anyone in this situation. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like what you said there. We talk about that a lot in other episodes where if you and your partner, spouse, significant other are not completely aligned on all aspects of communication and on how you handle certain situations, how you handle the kids, being in a blended family is always going to be extremely difficult and potentially more damaging to you and the kids. So when we have coaching sessions with women who are like, my husband just doesn't get it, our first advice is always, you need to get on the same page as your husband. If you two are not on the same page, there is no chance that you are going to have a successful blended family and you you might be doing the kids worse than than if you, if you weren't around entirely. So I... I completely agree with that. Um, what about, so it's easy to say when it's just text messages or you're going through an app like Family Wizard and there's communication, it's easy to, to be able to step away from the conversation, get on the same page with your significant other, and then decide how you want to collectively respond. But there are other scenarios like, let's say, birthdays or sporting events or specific holidays where you might be in person with said high conflict bio mom and there may not be an opportunity to get on the same page as quickly with your significant other. So how, how do you regulate some of those just like potentially angry conversations? And how do you, how do you recommend that we, we try to, I guess, coexist in, in those situations? Well, I think, you know, one of the most sensitive things that people fight about when they fight about their kids, it comes up, you know, at the times of special occasions like birthdays and holidays. So I think that the, the best approach to this is when you have a conflict and, you know, the two parents can't understand the, the specifics of a court order or one of them just doesn't want to pay any attention to the court order. They just want to do what they want. It's going to be very difficult for the kids in that situation. And so I would suggest that you can always celebrate a birthday or a holiday a day before, a day after, and it may not feel like the optimal solution because you, you want that time that was designated to be your time. And holidays and birthdays are important and always will be. 
But if you can reduce the conflict and the hardship on the child, that's always going to be better than making the mistake of getting into a war over that issue. And you know that old saying about less being more? Sometimes you have to settle for less to make it more. So letting a child know that you just want to make a situation easier for them by rescheduling that celebration, it makes it easier for them. And maybe older children understand it better than younger children, but at the end of the day, they're going to appreciate the effort that you're making to keep them out of the middle, reduce the conflict, and find a way to make it a win-win for the child. So the way I'm hearing it is you recommend having an upfront conversation with the child or children about rescheduling during a time that you already have them or just finding a time that works maybe that the other parent can agree to. How do you handle a situation where that's not, the child's not amenable to that or they push back on that and and you just can't get the other parent to agree? Do you, I mean, I think that's a lot of a situation that a lot of step parents and, and co-parents deal with is, do I address it directly with my child and fingers crossed that they're not upset or when I address it ahead of time with them, does it give them that, that understanding feel good that, that you're mentioning? What do you normally see in your practice? I think that the first step is to try to come to some agreement with the other parent about whose time it is supposed to be with the child. And if you can't come to an agreement and you know what the other parent is going to do, forcing it to be a particular way, then you have to sit down with the child and you have to say in an age-appropriate way that, you know, instead of my time being with you on this day, which I thought it might be, instead we're going to celebrate your, your birthday or celebrate Christmas a day or so later or when you get back from your vacation with your father, whatever. So I, I think that kids will appreciate that they're not losing the opportunity because it isn't on that particular day. You're just going to have a makeup opportunity to celebrate that birthday, that holiday, and it'll be just as good, even though the, 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 the day isn't exactly marked on the calendar. I completely agree with you, and that's very sage advice. I think people who are in high-conflict situations, even the thought of having to talk to the child about something that there's a disagreement on the other end can cause some people to avoid the conversation and just let the other parent handle it, which I think does a, a disservice in the eyes of their relationship with their child. It's good to have good communication with your kids. And if you do get them involved in self-regulation, uh, when they get upset, you'll know how to help them get back to a calmer emotional state so that uh, they can then refocus their attention on what you want to say to them. And so you have to understand how to navigate this landscape of conflict. And if you do it in a way that's child-focused, uh, nobody can find fault with how you end up solving the problem because uh, you're not thinking about yourself, you're thinking about how do you minimize the trauma and the upset to the child, because those are the kind of things that kids will remember long after whatever sentimental gift you wanted to give them or whoever you wanted to 
share it with on that day. Maybe you had a, a parent coming in from out of town that was counting on seeing them on that day, and then they don't don't they don't get to see them, and it's heartbreaking. But you you may just have to say to that uh, you know that that relative of yours, you know, it ain't gonna work out. We're, we're, I'm gonna have to do this a different way because I don't want the kid to get traumatized by this conflict. And I don't wanna blame the other parent because that's not gonna make it any better. Uh, it's not about who's at fault. It's about how do I make this right for the kid. I love that, that quote right there that you just said. It's not about who's at fault. It's about what's right for the kid. I, I think that is- We're totally putting that on Instagram. On. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so as you're working through this process to get them to understand self-regulation and you have a child who tends to isolate themselves when they have court mandated time with you and there's angst in the situation um, or, you know, they're spending a lot of time on their phones or just generally avoiding you. How do you get children like that to communicate and engage and be in, be a part of the healthy family dynamic while they're with you? You know, this makes me think about uh, an issue that's that's really a problem for the age we live in, because this generation of children, they have a different set of problems that have to do with addictions to video games and excessive time that they spend on screens and social media platforms. And you can't even think about taking a cell phone away from a child without it becoming World War III, God forbid you threaten to take away their cell phone. Oh my God. Anyway, there's a, there's an abundance of research uh, that is well known today. How bad uh, all this screen time and video game activity is for children. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of parents, they, they don't know this or they're just so passively involved in their kids' lives that they don't see it as a problem until it actually is a problem. But there are mental health professionals that specialize in children that have addictions to video games and, um, and they have an expertise in this field of treatment. So that's something that you would probably find would be covered by an insurance plan. So there's no reason not to go out and get that expert, that mental health professional for that purpose. That's a very simple issue. The other, the other part of your question, I think you're, you're asking, is how do you get the kids in, engaged uh, when they're so absorbed in these other, you know, screen activities? So one thing I would suggest is, you know, ask the child's therapist, you know, how to achieve it. One thing that I think about is uh, a term that's called successive approximations. Uh, and this term refers to a strategy that reinforces a child's positive behavior with a reward and extinguishes some bad behavior by not paying any attention to it. And through the successive approximations, the child learns in sort of a Pavlovian way, oh, well, this is what, my, this is what I have to do to get that. Uh, and uh, all my protestations are going nowhere because I'm getting no feedback, no reaction from my parent when I act like that. So you want to you want to be able to shape your child's behavior there's one other non-therapeutic intervention that i am suggesting frequently to a lot of my clients and it's a it's a very unknown thing but it's a thing and it's called psychoeducational tutoring and so i'm going to give a 
another name of a psychologist who I have a great rapport and relationship with. His name is Dr. Joseph Strayhorn. And you can look him up, Dr. Joseph Strayhorn, S-T-R-A-Y-H-O-R-N. And he has a program for psychoeducational tutoring. And what it does is it focuses on helping children between the ages of five and 17 learn how to use their psychological skills and their critical thinking in a format that would enable them to withstand the negative influence and the challenges of people that have misguided behaviors and beliefs. And sometimes that can be a parent. <laughs> That's a challenging parent to have to deal with. So this is a program that he offers, which, by the way, if you get your kid enrolled in it, uh, it has zero cost. I'll repeat that. Zero cost. And it's a magnificent program that is evidence-based. And so I highly recommend the psychoeducational tutoring if you're looking for a non-therapeutic intervention that is evidence-based and would give your child the kind of development, child development, that they would need, especially if, let's say, you're a parent that isn't getting a lot of contact or access with your kids because the other parent may be trying to interfere. And so you can't instill your values and your, your culture in your child because you're not being given that opportunity. It's being robbed and diminished in some way. So you, you have to try to get these interventions integrated into the child's daily activities. And that's a good one, psychoeducational tutoring. Glad I got that in. How do you recommend if you have a co-parenting situation that's tumultuous and the other parent doesn't want to agree to let the child do some of these programs that might benefit them or maybe the child is pushing back and unwilling um, and, you know, really saying that they don't want to do it. What are some recommendations that you can give that would help not impede the process? Well, that's great. Um, well, I, I, I'm going to say that if you're a parent that has a conflict with the other parent, and it's a, a very distinct problem, like an example would be a parent that is completely 100% non-supportive of the child's relationship with you. And by that, I'm not trying to use the word alienation. I'm trying to avoid that, but, but you know what I mean, okay? You really can't negotiate an agreement with a person that, it, that is so polarized in their views and so different in their parent, parenting orientation. You have no option but to go to court and ask a judge to order it over their objections. And you'll, you will find that about 95% of the time, if you ask a judge to order it to be done, it's going to be ordered to be done. Because judges, they have a different attitude about therapeutic interventions that are designed to help children. They don't go against that. They have lots of reasons to, you know, think twice about custody issues modifying custody and parenting time issues. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how do we give the child the tools to be able to help themselves? Because in all of these situations, it's a gift to give your child self-regulation therapy. It's a gift to give them psychoeducational tutoring. These are things that even if they never had a problem with a parenting relationship, they need these 
opportunities to develop on the highest level. And so if you can't get the cooperation you need from the other parent, you have to go over their head. Yeah. And maybe I need self-regulation therapy. Shoot. (laughs) It really sounds like something where, you know, if you learn those skills at a young age, it can be beneficial in life, generally speaking. I have just one, one last question for you that actually came from our Instagram audience before we kind of wrap up here. And so for stepmoms who might be in a situation where there's some real high conflict and severe manipulation happening from the bio mom, and they feel like it is severely damaging to their household and to the stepkids, but none of it is in writing and there's no actual proof of any of that. How do you recommend they go about protecting the kids and trying to to fight for things like the therapy that you mentioned or you know getting getting their case to be heard in front of a judge that would would take it seriously what do they do i think one of the one of the problems that most people find themselves in when they have these co-parenting disputes uh they, they get a lot of advice on social media platforms and from other people they talk to and from their relatives and all kinds of information, main, mainly bad information, comes from everyone circulating around you. You're not going to find the best answers there. And some of the approaches that you'll hear frequently is, you know, well, document everything, write everything down, re- tape record it, and, you know, and share it with the judge and, you know, and, and prove that, you know, they're an unfit parent or prove parental alienation and go on the attack and don't lay down and keep fighting and, you know, push the kid and don't take no for an answer and all this stuff. But all that you're doing is you're, you're reinforcing uh, a child's behavior to become dysregulated. And you're creating a, a conflict where you're making it worse, not better. There's a way of arguing with somebody without arguing. You just don't get into it. You just go to court, you make your motion and you roll the dice and in most cases, if you're asking for something smart and reasonable, you're going to win. And the child's going to be the biggest winner because they're going to get the interventions that are needed. But you want to disengage with toxic people. Uh, it's not going to help the kids. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help any of your extended family members. It's always better to know when to, to, to downregulate a conflict and so that's kind of where I try to steer people. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. So stepmoms, you heard it here. Disengage when you can. Make sure that, you know, you're having the right conversations with the right judge and attorney to make sure that if there is something going on that you need to protect the kids from, that you're you're not, not only fighting on their behalf, but you're also trying to get the kid the help and the, the self-regulation tools to be able to understand what's what's going on with them and how they can help themselves. I think that is is some pretty sound advice. So thanks for sharing that. And really thanks for being here with us today. I am always, always grateful for a variety of guests and people that come from kind of all walks of life with all different backgrounds. And, and yours is one that is surely interesting. And I know as part of our, our conversations that we had prior to you joining us today, we have some links from you to your website. We have some resource links that you had sent us over. 
and a YouTube video and a doctor that you had mentioned on today's episode. And for those that are listening, we will put all of those resources in the show notes so that everyone here has easy access to any of the extra information that they they provided today. So thank you again, Joseph, for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Greatly appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we so loved having you. And everybody listening, remember, you don't need to let people on social media get you worked up because they're also going through a tough situation. I like that advice, <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks again. Uh, if you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a review on Apple and on Spotify. Uh, you can always email us with extra questions for Joseph, stepmonsterpodcast at gmail.com, and we're happy to pass those along. And if you love this episode, we would love to hear from you. So thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your